0: of John We've got the saying first things first right it's that the most important matter should come up front and have priority and it seems that's what John, the disciple who's writing is thinking as well as he picks up his pen uh, to write the story of Jesus life and ministry. So he begins, you'll recall, his twenty one chapter eyewitness account of Christ's life uh, with an eighteen verse introduction, which we finished up last week, which lays out the essential foundation, uh, the theology of Jesus' true identity. So he's saying first things first. Hey before I get to the story, Uh, There's something you better know. This Jesus we're going to be talking about, uh, he's not only a human being, flesh and blood, born of a woman, but he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he is God himself. He created uh, everything. He's the source of all life. And he became one of us so that he could die as one of us so that our sins could be forgiven and We could be reconciled to God and he could give us eternal life. So please, John is saying, keep in mind that every time now that we mention Jesus, know that behind the brown eyes is the one who, quote, upholds the universe by his powerful word. So now it is time to tell the actual story of Jesus' life. And it begins with his Baptism, which will start the official first week of the Messiah's mission uh, on earth, and we get to hear John the Baptist's uh, testimony about him, and uh, this section is also a first things first kind of thing in that you really will find out if you're confused about what the gospel is. You're going to know who Christ is and what it is he came to do. And that's the good news. The old word for good news is gospel. And the gospel's shining forth here in our passage this morning. Let's just take the first paragraph, uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Now, this was John the Baptist. Since John is writing, there's another John that John is talking about. Uh, I'll probably just keep calling him the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He didn't fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? Elijah. He said, no, I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us to you. What do you say about yourself? John replied, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, and I've got the chapter and verse he's quoting, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. We're going to park there. We are going to get to Jesus' introduction and his baptism and the miracle that accompanies that baptism, which we would expect since he's the Son of God and he's being announced to the world, first to Israel and then through the gospel to the world. Yeah, so we'll make it that far, but this is a section, as I'm saying, uh, that really talks about that first week. So it's going to be John the Baptist testimony, Jesus' baptism, and then the calling of the first disciples, and that'll be for next week. But we will make it down to Jesus' water baptism. And so, note-takers, first what we have before us now is the interrogation. Uh, from headquarters. Uh, yeah, they've got some questions on their minds, don't they? They always did. Uh, the opening scene here, set in the wilderness of Judea. Uh, it takes place on the banks of the Jordan River, kind of near Jericho, if you know um, of the cities there. And um, A bit of an eccentric character is there, 30-year-old John the Baptist, a fiery uh, prophet. He's preaching up a storm, fiery messages. Uh, A bit of a revival is going on out there in the wilderness. Crowds are making their way out to the desert, and they're being uh, baptized. Uh, Yeah, I've got a picture just of uh, where it's pretty much somewhere where you're looking. Uh, is where this scene happened. And so uh, it's an amazing thing. You can stop there and be baptized there. There are two popular places in Israel. Uh, this is the uh, the less uh, popular because the river there is uh, more narrow. And uh, up near the Sea of Galilee, uh, it, it's a lot more popular there. But I wanted you to have that in your mind's eye there. So there on the banks of the Jordan, there we can go back to our verses, is the colorful character, the Bible hero that we call John the Baptist. And I did say eccentric, right? Um, Matthew's description of John: John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. Uh, his food was locusts and wild honey. Now that's taking gluten-free to a whole new level. Okay, okay. <laughs> Uh, But, see, it's in keeping with the prophecy about him, actually, which we are going to talk about. Uh, He's a no-frills kind of guy. He is sold out, radical in, in the best sense of that word. He has um, taken on an ascetic an kind of life, kind of uh, like a monk as in our thinking that's really harsh and strict, uh, really foregoing the normal um, joys of life, of marriage and having a family and enjoying a glass of wine. He was not... Um, He was not uh, a regular kind of guy in that regard. He's more of a, like this uh, minimalist. Uh, He's a a survivalist. He's out in the middle of nowhere, giving himself completely over to the purposes of God. He is in every sense of the phrase, a man of God. And so yeah, so the crowds love him, uh, and 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 really, that's what's going to prompt an investigation from headquarters to send out some scouts. No small turnout. Uh, He's in the middle of nowhere, and crowds upon crowds. Mark chapter 1 and verse 5, note taker says that the multitudes went out to see John from all of Jerusalem, from all of Jerusalem, and the surrounding countryside of Judea. That's like most of the country. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So, of course, John was preaching up these hellfire uh, sermons to make people aware that they had sin in their life, and that God would judge all sin and wrongdoing, breaking his commands like that, and that there was a problem. And uh, most people would think of themselves as basically good people, especially religious people like the Jews, who was part of their daily life, is to be in the temple and to make offerings and all of that. It's very hard to convince a religious nice person that they have sin that they need to repent of and and trust Jesus to save them. Uh, so, So John's thing is this. If you don't know that you have sins and need to be saved, you won't be interested in a savior. So John's mission, tasked by God, is to get them ready and convict them of their need so that when Jesus appears, he can say, that's him. Go to him now with your concern and your fear and your guilt. Yeah, that's what's going on. Now when he says, and of course he's so well regarded and people are flocking to him, that's what prompts headquarters to send out the delegation of spies, uh, if you want to call them that. When it says there the Jews sent the delegation, whenever you see the Jews, they're all Jewish, But the Jews is code for the religious establishment that's called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the Jewish Supreme Court that kind of rules over Israel underneath the control of Rome, of course, who was occupying them. And so... The, 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 the Sanhedrin was made up of 70 men from different, like a parliament of sorts, and how you have different factions in that parliament. Uh, you had all kinds of factions there. Uh, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees party uh, really were the majority. And so generally speaking, you don't hear about the rest of them. You just really hear about the Pharisees are really the ones that are right, usually the first mentioned there. And they have the power, and so that's who they are. Uh, they didn't agree on anything. They hated each other, those factions, just like in Congress. You know, you've got different parties, and they don't necessarily like each other, shall we say. Democrats and Republicans, it's sort of the same thing going on, uh, only they had a one thing they agreed on. We don't like Jesus. And no surprise that they don't like his forerunner either. So that's what's going on. Go down, check it out, and see what's going on there. Uh, So yeah, um, the long robes are sent out there, and they are Levites and priests. They come with a burning question. Uh, you got a big following. What's going on out here? Uh, Are you the Messiah to come? Now that's the big ticket question, of course, because the Old Testament has 300 definite prophecies of the Lord uh, coming into the world. Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace to come. And uh, in their minds, they were waiting for this Prince of Peace to come, the King of Israel, as he's called in the Old Testament. Uh, but they were hung up on one thing. They only saw one thing. He comes as a national figure. He will be head of state. The Messiah is King of the Jewish Nation, and that's all they saw. They didn't see the parts where he comes to suffer and bear our sins. The first coming, they missed that. They didn't see it, and so this is going to be a problem even for the disciples who will think of Jesus as not riding into the donkey, uh, riding on a donkey into the city, uh, and trying uh, not to. Their thinking, he's going to be. He's going to overthrow Rome and set up the kingdom the way he's described the second coming. They wanted to just fast forward through all of this meek and humble gentleness part where you slap him on one side and he turns the other cheek and and then he lays himself down on a cross and lets the bad guys win. No, we don't want that. We want the king through the clouds and Israel set up as a superpower. And that's what the Old Testament said. So they want to know, are you the one? who's going to save us from Rome and exalt the nation of Israel and set, set the people free. John, are you? And <clears throat> John says doubly. Did you notice that in the text? Look at that. John didn't fail to confess, and, but freely confessed. Why did he do that? He didn't stutter there. It's for a reason. Uh, it means that there was an emphatic... Over-the-top denials, many words, and in many ways, John the Baptist made it clear, that is not my honor. That honor belongs to another. No, I'm not the Messiah. And interesting to me that the Pharisees send priests and Levites. Now, you remember that John the Baptist is not some unknown rogue preacher in the desert, but he is the son of a Levite priest. Now, all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests, so there's a little bit of a difference there. But John's father, 30 years earlier, had a miraculous encounter, which the delegation all know about. So perhaps the Pharisees are saying, let's send brother Levites, they're related, by blood, to The wilderness, and maybe that'll help John mm, uh, warm up and tell us a little bit more of what's going on. So that was kind of savvy of them to do. And now, you know, uh, if you recall the Christmas narrative of John the Baptist's father being told 30 years earlier in the temple <laughs> he, I, I i'm surprised he didn't have a heart attack i mean he's in the temple doing the thing as, as one of the levi priests do and angel gabriel shows up and says hey congratulations you're going to be a dad and even though you're old and your wife is old and couldn't conceive when she was young You are going to conceive, and you're going to give birth to a son. Your wife is, anyway. And uh, you'll give him the name Jesus. There's so many on these angel stories. Come on. (laughs) Give him the name John. Thank you. You're like, you're paying attention over there. Thank you. Thank you, Barb. (laughs) You got my back. Okay, yeah, so, uh, and here's, here's to, this will help us understand the next question, what Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, heard. Luke chapter 1, verse 17, here. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah Ah, He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. That just means that John's ministry is going to have a theme. It's called repentance. A change of heart. A turning about from sin to uh, love in the commands of the Lord. And so... This is uh, when when he says no to the Christ question, uh, their next best guess is are you Elijah there in verse 21. Now, uh, the Lord allowed John to resemble Uh, Elijah, who's a very colorful character, who lived eight centuries before John, but everybody knew him. He was the classic Bible hero for all of those Jewish people. So God wanted John to remind everybody of the character of Elijah because of this prophecy that every Jew knew, Malachi chapter uh, 4 Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So every Jew knew, we're not looking for Messiah. We look first for Elijah. When we see Elijah, then we know Messiah is there. So, so much so that today, at a Seder dinner today, in these days here, Jewish families will have an empty chair at the table during passover celebration for elijah just a head a a shout out to say god we know that that scripture is going to come to pass that somewhere in the world elijah will come and take his place and then the messiah will appear so and this is the idea so john looked like Elijah's character. In fact, they have the same taste and fashion. Uh, They wore, quote, camel hair and leather belt, both of them. Come on, they both were in the desert. Second Kings 1, if you want to check out Elijah. Uh, John sounded like Elijah. They had the same uh, repentance as a theme, Uh, the voice echoing in the desert canyons. And, you know, they both, Rebuked wicked kings, didn't they? Elijah rebuked King Ahab for his idolatry and his wickedness. And John the Baptist rebuked King Herod for stealing his brother's wife and committing adultery. And John the Baptist called Herod out. And both Elijah and John the Baptist had to deal with the fallout from their wicked wives. Jezebel in the first case who put a hit on Elijah and said I'm going to murder you before the sun goes down and, and, and Elijah had to run from his life, for his life and then oh, Mrs. Herod of course wanted to kill John as well and she was successful she's responsible added to her resume of all her wicked sins add this one she had john the baptist beheaded in the most vilest of ways you recall on a silver platter really should she not have repented Uh, i shudder to think uh what happens at death with her so they have so much in common uh john has this big elijah like vibe to him and and so God wanted the nation to see John the Baptist in the wilderness and think, there he is. There he is. In fact, uh, the disciples will say, Jesus, Matthew 17, Jesus, why do the teachers are always saying, Elijah comes first? Because here you are. Where's Elijah? And then Jesus says, oh, and I quote, Uh, Elijah's coming. He's going to come. But Elijah has also come. And they didn't recognize him. And if you're willing to receive it, figuratively speaking, John the Baptist functions as the fulfillment of the Elijah to come for the first coming. But you know what's very amazing to me is the context of, you can go back to Malachi The context for Elijah coming is not the birth narrative. It's not the first time. The context, the promise is, like many Old Testament uh, prophecies, it's a twofer. It has a near and far. Many Old Testament prophecies are like that. It has a double fulfillment. So Jesus is saying, by the way, the first fulfillment happened already. But Jesus in Matthew 17 says, oh, he's coming He's coming in the future as well. So commentators say, because well, what he's talking about here is the great tribulation. The church has been removed from harm's way and the, the, the world is suffering cataclysmic disasters and uh, the great day of the Lord. And so scholars say in Revelation, I think it's chapter 11, it has two prophets calling down fire and plagues. And so everybody seems to believe that since Jesus says Elijah is coming, and there's a prophet who's calling down fire in the tribulation, that the one who went up in a chariot of fire and didn't die returns to make a guest appearance during the tribulation. And this time, the Jews get because at the end of the tribulation, it takes the apocalypse to get through to them. But they do understand, and they cry out, according to Romans chapter 11 and verse 26, it says that all of Israel will be saved. It doesn't mean every last Jewish person. It means, by and large, the nation as a whole will cry out to Yeshua, Jesus, and come to know him. Israel will become a Christian nation through that great time. And seeing Elijah on the streets will, is going to help bring that all home. And so when they say, Are you Elijah? they mean the man. And the scholars say, Does does Elijah, does John the Baptist even know he's a type of Elijah? Probably not. So he answers the question Are you the reincarnation of Elijah? No, I'm not. So there it goes again. So then they, it, it's kind of like, guess again. So they say Are you the prophet? The prophet is an allusion to Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verse 15, where Moses prophesies and says, look, uh, one day the Lord is going to raise up a very important prophet, a prophet like me. You must obey him. And so they say, are you that prophet Moses told us about? And he says, no, I'm not. So now they're 0-3, and they're frustrated, Right? And so, the, you know, verse 22, hey, listen up. We've got nothing to put in our, on our clipboards here. Uh, they're they're going to ask us, who is he? is, And we're going to look like fools. We don't know. We could tell you who he's not, but we don't have a clue. So John says, write down Isaiah 40, verse 3. Write it down. Let me quote it for you. You know, I am the voice calling in the wilderness, make straight the path. For the lord so here's what he's saying and he's constantly doing this he 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 really wants all of his followers to follow jesus now he's about to introduce him so he's constantly saying i'm not worthy the worthy one is in our midst right i'm no one special i'm just a voice crying out ready or not here he comes and uh he's like my ministry is to make sure you're ready Make straight the path for the Lord, means this. The Lord Jesus comes to rescue and save you from certain death, and not, not the physical kind, the spiritual kind, that, that because of sin, the wage of sin is death, that, that every sinner has flatlined for eternity. And, and, and when the body and the soul separate, then... Uh, there's a separation there called the second death from light and life and truth. And God himself, that's the second death. So Jesus comes, John is saying, Jesus comes, the Lord comes to do CPR. To, he's the EMT that arrives at your front door and you are eternally flatlined. You want to take every piece of debris every obstacle that's in between you and your rescuer, and you want to get rid of that because you want that path straight. You want him to be able not to have to jump and go round. Don't do that. This is important. Make the way accessible. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit and your own conscience that's telling you Clear the way, man. Nothing between you and your God. You and the one who made you. You and the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. You and the God who laid down his life to forgive you of all of those sins and grant to you entry into a place Jesus describes as the paradise of God. Oh, my goodness, he says. You want to put some kind of, uh, what are they called? Those sawhorses? Are they... What do you use in the garage to build all your things on? What's it called? Yeah. A sawhorse? I was right. If anyone needs anything built, just let me know. I'll see what I can do on my sawhorse. Wow, that was an accidental win. All right, so so to get it, make the path straight there. Uh, moving on, verse 24 and following. Now, some of the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then you, why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? <laughs> I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you don't recognize, you don't know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And then John the disciple says this all happened at Bethany, not the Bethany where Lazarus is from and Mary and Martha, a different Bethany near Jericho, on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. On the other side of the Jordan now has to be Jordan, the nation. So even if it's on the banks there. So, yeah, John was baptizing. There we go. So uh, the Pharisees are in the mix now because the top brass that sent the underlings, the Levites and the priests, also couldn't resist having some of them in the mix as well. They've got the power, right? So let's keep an eye on these fellows, you know, you know, because, you know, who knows? They're related to John the Baptist. So the Pharisees, the real bad guys, generally speaking, are in the mix. And they want to know not so much, why are you baptizing? The question really is, who gives you the right to baptize? Because that's what we do. That's And we only do that for Gentiles, which means not Jewish, not non-Jews who want to become um, involved in Judaism, want to convert. Uh, to Judaism. That's the only reason, and that is why John's baptism of repentance and the Christian baptism of allegiance to Jesus is was such a stumbling block. Christianity was such a stumbling block with the idea of, of repentance for your sin, the need of a savior, and then the baptism, that was just like it was hard to take in because Jews felt like we're related to Abraham. God made, made promises to Abraham's offspring. We're the offspring, so we're good. But they needed to understand that even religious people, nice people... Are sinners that need to confess their sin and come to Christ to lay down His life for them. That is a big stumbling block to people. Even today, there's somebody who I'm thinking of, and I'm saying, he he goes, man, I pay my taxes, I work hard, I, I am, I uh, I give to charities. Um, I, I I He said, I don't use foul language. I'm a I'm a good, decent human being. And you're making it sound like I have to come to Jesus like a murderer, some kind of murderer. And I think he said prostitute. He said, like, like some kind of prostitute or murderer or drug dealer. And I said, yeah, that's the Bible. That sin disqualified us all. Some are better at sinning than others, right? <laughs> and, and, and he said, but you're all sinners, so, so you can't qualify so the, the best sinner among you and the worst sinner among you, if that makes any sense, which it doesn't, um, the worst among you and the best among you have one thing in common. You're both fall short and you're both sinners. And you need the blood of Jesus. And so uh, this is what's going on there. So why do you baptize if you're not the Christ? And who gives you the right to do that? And he's gonna say things like, "I splash water around." That's all I do. but but there's someone you're missing the whole point. It's not about the water baptism. It's about this Messiah who's in our midst that you don't have the ability to see. You think it's all about the water? I splash I, I immerse people in water, but he will go on to say in the other gospels, but there's somebody who's coming who he he he, immerses you in life in the power of god and he raises you up to be who god made you to be with the fire and the power and the ambition and zeal that god gives you to be that person to change your desires and to have the grace to be able to fulfill and follow after a new heart that wants to please god So, and in today's language, verse 27, he says, I'm not worthy to shine his shoes or carry his bags or be in the same room with him. So now speaking of the worthy one, verses 29 to 31, here it is, the first mention of Jesus in real time in John's gospel. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I met when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And that's a quick shout-out. We talked about it because he said it before. Uh, he's saying, the man who comes after my ministry who will pick up where I left off, he's way greater than I am because he existed before me. A shout-out to Jesus, the Messiah being uh, God. Verse 31, I myself didn't even know him. I didn't recognize him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So that's pretty interesting that John the Baptist is saying that I didn't recognize Jesus when we, the family of God, know that they are, through their mothers, related somehow. Mary and Elizabeth are, the word is relatives, so we often say cousins, So John and Jesus through their humanness uh, are related somehow. But yet John says, I was clueless. There's a reason for that, and I'm going to explain that. So uh, day two in the life of the Messiah... Uh, his first week, I should say, uh, the God-man comes into view for the first time. So we leave the interrogation for the introduction. And what a one-liner. Has there ever been a greater, more profound one-liner than this? Of the thousands of things you could say about the Son of God, he's got one sentence, and the Holy Spirit just nails it with this. Now, keep in mind, John's been preaching hellfire john's been showing them you know as i've been saying you're like this drunk dude who's uh, on on a railroad truck and, and everything's flashing and and clanging and you're like what train i'm i'm fine you know and john's ministry is to say no you're not you can't be saying i'm fine i go to church I do a lot of rituals, I do this and that, and I'm basically a good person. John's screaming at them in the wilderness. John's been saying things like the most horrendous, harshest things to snap them out of it so that they don't miss it and wind up perishing. So he would say, hey, the ax is at the tree. Any tree that bears rotten fruit... And doesn't have good fruit on it, the axe is at that root and and it's gonna swing, and that's what you do in an agrarian society with a fruit that's, uh, fruit that on a tree that's diseased. What good is it? You don't want that disease spreading to the other trees, you chop it down. And John's saying if you're a person that has any kind of bad fruit, which means misdeeds, sinful things of any sort then then there's acts in your future so so now that the people are, confessing their sins and they're acknowledging they're going into the water saying I have sinned, I have sinned, I have lied I have taken things that don't belong to me, I have sexual immorality and and as they're coming up now convinced they have this terrible horrendous problem that's going to bring a fearful judgment, he says there he is, the one who takes all of that away that's your answer. And when he gets a hold of you, it won't be splashing water on you. He's going to splash the living water. He, you are going to be a new person because that is God in a human body. And when you connect with God, you're not messing around, and ne- neither is he. So he says, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, he is God's eraser of all human sin. Now, do you notice in that is the correct translation. It is sin of the world. One writer put it this way. He doesn't say the sins as in plural, but he uses sin in a singular sense, in the sense that the entire guilt of humanity was collected into one mass of human defilement, bound all together in one black and awful bundle and laid upon the unshrinking shoulders of the God-man who could bear it all and carry it away forever. That, that's an amazing thing. Takes away there, that he takes our sins away. The verb is to lift up and move from one place to another. And I wrote down, yeah, like from my soul into the sea of God's forgetfulness, as the psalmist put it. That's an amazing thing, to carry something away, to remove it, to blot it out. Now, when he says the Lamb of God, every who takes away the sins of the world, every Jew who heard that has to associate this with the way that things worked between God and the Jewish people. If you wanted fellowship with God as a sinner as I've said many times, you would, when you sinned, and even when you weren't aware of sin, morning and evening in the temple services every single day morning time they took a lamb, confessed onto the lamb the sins of the nation and then that lamb was slaughtered on behalf of the sinners. But this was in so many ways from Passover where the blood of the lamb was put on the doorpost of the house when the judgment of death came calling. uh, Death sees, oh, there's been bloodshed here. I can pass over. So this idea of blood atonement, the word atonement means to cover, right? Uh, Through a lamb, it could be bulls, goats, different kinds of livestock, but lamb was really the most often used. And so that lamb would be your stand-in and the reason for why uh, temporarily the problem could be fixed and you could be put right with God through the death of somebody else on your behalf. So, so what's amazing to me is that Jesus will die on the same hill, the same exact hill, where blood was shed of lambs for 1,000 years. Same hill. Because Solomon's temple was built on Mount Moriah. And that altar saw a lot of lambs. For 600 years those lambs were slain right there. And then the temple was destroyed and when it was rebuilt it's called Zerubbabel's temple because he was the priest at the time. That's the temple that we see Jesus visiting for 400 years. So 600, 400, 1,000 years of blood on Mount Moriah, blood of lambs and goats and bulls, pointing every single time somebody is coming who is going to take all of our sins away. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, as it were, or standing there, he says, that's him. That's Messiah's first job. Not to make you happy and bless you and give you your best life now. But he, sorry. <laughs> but he came to lay down his life on that piece of wood he created and, uh, so that we could be put right with him. In fulfillment of Isaiah 53, you can go ahead and put the air conditioner on so that we all don't die. Thank you. Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's why the voice is going to say, this is my son who's getting baptized. In him I am well pleased. He's getting baptized not for his own sins, but because our sins are going to be heaped on him. So he identifies as a sinner because he's going to be made into our sin because he didn't have any sins. The punishment that was uh, brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we're healed. We're like sheep. We've gone astray. Each one turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Iniquity just means general bad behavior, wickedness, evil kind of thing. And so... Yeah, Uh, John is just like, follow him and have life. And he's the answer uh, to the problems. Let's finish up here. He has said that he didn't figure out who Jesus was on his own, but had to have a divine revelation. I love that, and it really makes sense. We finish up now with 32 through 34. Then John gave... This testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him, except that the one who sent me to baptize, the Lord gave him a word. He said, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the son of god so john the baptist testimony now has been filed officially and uh, and concluded with this beautiful miraculous display from god the father that jesus is his son and truly the savior of the world now yeah it's interesting that he says i didn't recognize him on my own what's he saying he's he's going to say folks this is a big deal This isn't like they may have said, yeah, that's his cousin. You know, he's like, my cousin, he's the Messiah. Like this is a family thing, right? Oh, no, he says, John says, and I believe that God kept them from ever meeting, which isn't hard to believe. Of course, he knows about, they know about each other. Duh, of course, they're cousins. But they didn't grow up anywhere near. uh, They grew up way far apart from each other. John grows up in isolated places in the hill country, it says. And then Jesus grows up where Nazareth, way up north by the Sea of Galilee. So it's quite possible that they never physically met. And I think God would have it that way because this isn't about uh, their family, you know. Oh, it's my cousin happens to be the Messiah. You know, no. No, John's saying... This is bigger than me and my family, and who knows who. This isn't man's plan. I myself didn't even know until I see him and this display of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can picture the light coming down. Was it a real dove? Not uh, who knows. He's saying it was like a dove. It just there was some kind of manifestation that was divine and spectacular that pointed out it's him. And then if that wasn't enough let me show you the the fuller version that Matthew shows us as soon as Jesus was baptized he went up out of the water at that moment heaven opens now now you that's a visible thing heaven opens up and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven says, Thunders, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, that's an amazing thing. And I don't know if you noticed this before, but once again, what do you got? You've got the Trinity, you've got the Father is speaking. The Spirit is visibly descending and lighting upon him, and the Son is standing present, ready to do the Father's plan, which is lay down his life for the sins of the world. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the one God who comes to save. This is an amazing demonstration of the love of God for us that he has. You know, the thing about God is he didn't do anything in a corner. He, he made sure that everybody saw this miraculous, spectacular display of, of, of deity so that nobody would miss it. God has a heart that says, I don't want anybody to perish i'm not willing i want everybody to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved so when the savior comes into the world he brings a light that rests over the place where the child was what come on a star shining over the house don't miss it folks don't miss it and how about the testimony of the shepherds angels light up the skies I'm sure they're not the only ones who saw that glow with angels singing and praising God. There he is. Don't miss it. Here's a sign for you. Baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. Go find him because we don't want you to miss out. And then this one. It's like, what's happening in the desert with some rabbi getting baptized? Oh, no. The heavens open. What did that look like? Oh, man. Nothing like some cheesy movie. I mean, it, oh, I could just see the clouds parting and God doing his thing with the sky in the heavens that he himself created. Not a problem for him. And he lets everybody see the light coming down and landing this is, and then if you're if you're slow, and you can't figure out that something miraculous is happening with this man. Jesus just John just said, takes away the sins of the world. Then the voice clears it up for you. This is Him. This is my Son. Entrust your soul to Him so that you can be saved, receive my love, and have everlasting life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great love, your goodness, and that it's so true, God. I think every sinner. Uh that ends up, sadly, on the other side of your judgment, we'll have to recall the many, 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 many times you tried to get their attention through their lives and all the times they disregarded it and made excuses and said it's a coincidence or whatever. But, Lord, you, you just really stay on people and you just keep dogging us dogging us you're like the hound of heaven you just come at our heels so trying to because you don't it just breaks your heart God we know how much you want us to be saved because of what you did to keep us from perishing that's a big deal on the cross and it just shows how much you really love us and, and want us to be with you in heaven that you so love the world that you gave your only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God, help us now to um, take these words to heart and be encouraged in Jesus name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 930 and 1130 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.